Amen. If you have uh, your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to Romans uh, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I, I don't know about you, but I, I never seem to sleep very well on daylight savings nights. Um, I'm always waking up various times during the night. Is my phone really going to change at 2 a.m.? Is it, is it really going to do what it says that it's going to do? Uh, and so I'm always a little nervous about that, but it's been doing it for 10 years. I still, I still get a little nervous about it. Um, before we jump into today's message, uh, I want to invite you to make plans uh, to participate in our Holy Week. Uh, you'll see the dates on the screen. Uh, on April 2nd is Palm Sunday, and we have a special service that's being planned uh, for that day. And then uh, also on that day, as, as was mentioned a few moments ago, uh, our Easter egg hunt. Uh, so it's going to be a great day uh, all the way around. And then on Good Friday, April the 7th at 6.30 p.m. here in the auditorium, uh, several folks are planning a special service that evening. And so I would encourage you to uh, put that on your calendar, make, make plans to be here for that. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, on April the 9th, uh, please be inviting family and friends to be a part uh, of this whole week. Uh, one of the things we've tried to do over the past few years in particular is, is for us to kind of see the, the scope of the, the whole Holy Week. Uh, and not, not just uh, focus on, on the Easter story, which is, is an uh, important, amazing story, but also kind of see what leads up to the Easter story. And so we, we do that through these three services and hope that you'll make plans to be a part of those. Uh, I hope you've been reading through the book of Romans. I mentioned to you last week that we would hopefully have some more journals here in the foyer. If you walked in looking for those, uh, they were not here this morning. Uh, we have uh, fell victim to shipping delays, as uh, some of you have experienced as of late. And so hopefully those will come in this week and they'll be available next week. If you didn't get a journal, uh, those hopefully will be here uh, next week. Uh, so I want to pray. And uh, as we do, let's just take a moment to ask God to illuminate His Word to us. And so Father, we, we thank You for the gifts of the day. We thank You that You have assembled us in this place. Uh, Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Uh, we're grateful that Your Word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. And so, Father, we just ask that, uh, that you will give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear today. Uh, Father, that we will have our hearts open uh, to what you would have to say to us. It's in Jesus we pray, and amen. Let's take a moment and watch this brief clip from The Bible Project. Now, we know from the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for some time, that it was made up of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But at one point, the Roman emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of those Jews, including Jesus-following Jews, were allowed to return. And when they did, they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in custom and practice. And so this created lots of tension, so that by Paul's day, the Roman church was divided. People disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They were debating about whether non-Jewish Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or eat kosher or be circumcised. And so Paul wrote this letter to accomplish a few things. He wanted this divided church to become unified and for a practical purpose. He was hoping that the Roman church could become a staging ground for his mission to go even further west all the way to Spain. And so these circumstances are what motivated Paul to write out his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news that he was announcing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
So context will continue to be important as we walk through this series, and I, I certainly don't want us to miss context. And so when uh, I asked our Connect groups during uh, in some of our Connect group questions last week if, if you would uh, watch the entirety of this video to give you an overall picture of the book of Romans, and I think the Bible Project does a great job of doing that. And at the same time, I want us to be uh, careful uh, with, with context. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, I think it's important uh, for us uh, to recognize that, that although context is, Im- is important, uh, there are certain things that are happening around context. So we learn of the Emperor Claudius expelling the Jews from Rome, and from, uh, we learned this from the, the Roman historian uh, whose name is Suetonius. Now I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, last week I, I mispronounced Karl, Karl Barth, so uh, this week I'm going to try to make sure I'm not mispronouncing names. Uh, but, but I want us to, to recognize that this is from uh, his historian named Suetonius in the, the, the Roman uh, antiquity at that time. And so he tells us about these, the Jews leaving, being expelled, and then coming back. And he tells us about kind of this, this tension, and if we get to Romans chapter 14 and 15, we're going to see that, that Paul's going to talk about these tensions even further. Uh, this is also where we find out that, that Raul, Paul's ultimate goal is to go to Spain, as we, we saw in that video. Um, yet at the same time, my caution is that while we consider context, we continue to look to the letter itself to discover the specific reasons for Paul writing such a letter, and the particular themes that we will continue to unpack and to find rich value in our daily lives. Uh, so let's jump into Romans 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him... We received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of His Son, and my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are here in Rome. Verse 16, the verses that Chapman just read a moment ago. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. May God bless the reading of His Word. When we uh, write letters today, or even when we write emails today, uh, we tend to start off with uh, who the letter is to, dear so-and-so, or we'll just put their name if it's a little more informal in an email. And, and that, that's how we'll, we'll start off. And then we'll end the letter, you know, best regards or sincerely yours, or, or, and then we'll put the, the name of, of who it's from. Uh, ancient letters were reversed. And so in ancient letters, uh, the, the, the name of who was writing it came first. Paul, a, a servant of Jesus Christ. It's, it's from Paul. He calls himself a doulos. It's, it's, it's a slave. It's a servant. It's a bondservant. And what we're going to discover uh, in Romans is that this letter is really a, a Christian manifesto of sorts. It's this manifesto of freedom. However, it is this paradoxical freedom. It is this freedom that comes from slavery. A bondservant of Christ, Paul would say. And so, Saul Paul goes from being the antagonist working against Christ, as we talked about last week, to being the protagonist working for him, spreading this good news. He's called to be an apostle, and he's set apart. He's separated for the gospel of God. You may recall when Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus, and he uh, has an encounter with Christ. He's, he sees this, this light. He's, he's blinded. It, it's, it's this amazing scene in Acts chapter 9. And he, he asks a question. You remember the question that that Saul of Tarsus asked as soon as he has this encounter? He says, who are you, Lord? We we don't know everything about that encounter, but what we do know is that it it caused Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus at the time, it caused him to, to acknowledge this being as Lord. As, as boss, as master, as the, you're the, you are the, there's no doubt that you're the one in charge right now. This, this is Paul's encounter. And in the King James Version, Paul asks a second question. He says, what wilt thou have me to do? What, what do you want me to do? When you have an encounter such as what, what Paul had, you, you immediately are a servant to, to, to this, this being, and, and you're, you're asking, okay, well, what do, you, what do you want me to do now? I want to ask you a question. What has the Lord been asking you to do lately? What has the Lord been asking of you? I want you to, to keep that question in mind because, because Paul was his Roman name, Saul was, 
uh, his Hebrew name. It's likely that it's not like he necessarily went from a change from, from Saul and then, and then went to Paul. It's like, no, it's both and. It was, and Saul was, was likely from King Saul, who was, uh, that, that name probably came from King Saul in the Old Testament, who was a head and shoulders above people, a, a big guy, just a bigger than life kind of guy, you know, and, and, then, and then Paul in, in, the, in, in, the, in the Greek means, it means small. That, that he was literally knocked off his high horse on the road to Damascus. This is what happens to Paul. He realizes how small he was. And yet in the midst of realizing how small he was, God's plans for him were anything uh, but small. Do you believe that in your own life? I mean, do we really believe that? He was set apart. He was separated for the gospel of God. Paul said that he was a Pharisee. Do you realize that that word Pharisee uh, and that word separated, set apart, that those words have the same meaning? Literally, matter of fact, Pharisee meant one who is set apart. And Pharisees, they often prided themselves from being set apart from everyone and everything. Uh, one resource I came across said that, that, that Pharisees would often, as they were traveling in the streets, they would pull up their, their garments and they would hold them so that even their garments didn't brush up against Gentiles like you and me. They did, they did not, they, they prided themselves in being separate and apart. Paul was separated from everyone and from everything. Now he says, I'm separated too. Did you catch that? I'm separated to the gospel of God. I believe Paul's playing on words here right in the, right in the opening line. And I want to ask you a question again, what are you separated to? Not what are you against, what are you separated from, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do, you know, not, not, not what are you separated from, but what are you separated to? The word in Greek for gospel is this word euangelion, it means good news. And our word gospel derives from the old Anglo-Saxon word Godspell. It's where we get the word gospel in English. Godspell means good story. That God's story is a good story. It's a story that we find ourselves in. Yet for Paul, you really can't understand the good news, the good story, until you understand the bad news. We're going to talk about that next week. But Paul says that I'm separated to the gospel of God. If you are taking notes for your connect group conversations or just your personal reflections, I encourage you to write this down. The gospel is not first of all about us or me, it's about God. Paul says I'm separated to the gospel of God. And who is this good news about? Paul says it's regarding God's Son, Jesus, who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him 
we received grace. Literally in the Greek, that this grace is a, it's a gift, it's, it's a blessing. In John Barclay's wonderful book, Paul and the Gift, it's a bit dense, but you young scholars need this one in your library if you don't have it already. Barclay says that if Paul and his contemporaries spoke about divine and human benevolence using the language of gift, we need to be sure that we know what is implied in the evocation of such terms and what is not. Even the slightest knowledge of antiquity would inform us that gifts were given with strong expectations of return. I'm grateful for the long history that this church has in preaching grace. Uh, Kevin's dad, uh, Wayne Kilpatrick, preached grace to this church for many, many years. Uh, I was blessed to sit under Craig Kelly, who preached grace and had a powerful testimony of his own about the grace of God in his life. Both these men have been a blessing to this faith family. A matter of fact, in two weeks I've asked Wayne Kilpatrick to come and speak on March 26th back here, so I hope that you'll make plans to be here in two weeks. But I'd be remiss not to acknowledge the foundation of grace-filled preaching that I stand on today. And if we really desire to understand the, the implications of God's gift, we must also understand that God's grace is not cheap. Michael Gorman, who's a contemporary of Barclay, would say it this way, the word grace in verse 5 and verse 7 refers to God's completely unmerited and unearned favor, but a gift in antiquity required reciprocation. For Paul, God's grace is unconditioned. It's given to the, the unworthy, but it's not unconditional. Those who have received such grace are expected to be transformed by the Spirit. Grace implies obligation. And this is in no way some, some neo-legalism. This is in no way a works-based righteousness. Paul would even go on in Romans chapter 6 to say, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's even this this expectation in Paul's language, by the grace of our Lord, we are restored to this relationship with God, and that relationship, it has a shape. That relationship has an order, a life that understands grace. Catch this, is a life that is transformed by the gift that grace is. We received grace, Paul said to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Paul goes on to say that I'm I'm not ashamed of this gift and the transformation that the Spirit has done even in the life of Paul. I'm not ashamed of this gift because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, chronologically. In his book, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, Arthur Carl Gallops tells the story of Yitzhak Kaduri. Kaduri was reportedly 108 years old when he died in 2006. 
That meant that if that's true, that his life spanned three different centuries. And at the time, he was Israel's most famous rabbi. And before he died, he wrote a letter that was not to be opened until one year after his death. So in 2007, it was reported that letter was opened and Kaduri revealed the name of the long-awaited Messiah, Yehoshua, which in Hebrew means Jesus. Paul's coming to Rome as a, as a herald of, of God's gospel. This is a part of his job because the gospel is for everyone, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your social status, regardless of what you've done wrong or the wrong that's been done to you. The gospel is for everyone. And Paul's not ashamed of this gospel, this gift. But he's going to tell us that this gift has some implications. And at the head of this great letter, and a short summary and some of the most important truths ever heard by human ears, he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness, the rightness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Tony mentioned in his communion thoughts uh, two days ago that we gathered in this room to celebrate the life of Bob Mann, see his family sitting over here long-time faithful member of this church. For the past 16 years, uh, Bob has fought Parkinson's disease. And for those that were not able to attend the funeral on Friday, uh, we shared that prior to Parkinson's, Bob was a, a gifted runner. I actually held the record at the University of South Alabama for the fastest mile, held that record for 10 years. I think one of our students, uh, Sawyer Burgess, uh, came close to, to breaking that record yesterday. He ran a mile in four minutes and 58 seconds. And he lost his shoe during the race, which was quite impressive. But Bob was a runner. Bob was also a singer. And one of the stories that really captured uh, my heart, a story that we shared on Friday. And while Bob was at a piano bar in Boston, Massachusetts, years and years ago. He had no fear. He stood up, and he sang at the top of his lungs, Bring Him Home from Les Mis, a song where Jean Valjean pleads with God to preserve the life of another man. And in that song, in those lyrics, you hear the lyrics that Valjean offers his own life instead of the life of this young man. Church, get this, the, the righteousness of God, God's saving justice through the sacrificial offering of His own Son is a fundamental divine trait and activity with huge implications that many Christians are unaware of. Amen. So Romans is going to help us become aware. It's going to open up our eyes. It's going to guide us through this manifesto of what freedom 
really looks like. One of Bob's sons shared these words. This past week, when the time had come to finish the fight, Bob used the disease to call his family and friends around him. For nine days we surrounded him. We sang songs, we prayed and worshiped, we cried and laughed. Dad rested and listened. Once he was off the Parkinson's meds and the oxygen machine, he spent a couple of days hitting these amazing breathing rhythms just to show off and show us that he could still do it. He had brought his family closer than ever. Then he rested. He rested like I hadn't seen him rest in over a decade. He had beaten the disease of unrest. When he was done resting, he hit a smooth stride, that last runner's high, where everything is just easy. He quietly slipped away from us when we weren't looking and joined his father in heaven. He's there now, running like the wind. You tell me who won that fight. The Apostle Paul would say to the Corinthians, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Let's pray this morning. So, Father, we are thankful for your word. And as we continue to travel through this series, God, I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your illumination. God, your word says if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask. James tells us that. Father, I confess I'm a a person who lacks wisdom. So I pray, come Holy Spirit, that you will fill our hearts and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. Thank you for the words that were inspired by your spirit through your servant, Paul. Father, may we too be inspired by this work of his. God, may we submit ourselves to your authority in all things. Father, may we recognize the amazing grace that we have been given in our lives and that that grace is calling us to respond in a way that only your spirit can enable us to do. So, Father, we pray as your son taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the whole church said, Amen.